Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by our great podcast partners from the last year, Daytona Motorsport, Apex Manager, Solent Tuition, SummersF1.co.uk, Downforce UK, and Strawberry Cottage Landscapes. Today's episode is called Dream to Stream. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined here by my good friend from the internet, Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Well, actually, it's a wee bit busy over here in America land as the uh, entire country gets ready to implode economically. But aside from that, generally fine. Well, let's let this be an island away from all the drama and strife of our relative political outlooks. Um, But we have a season review to do, Matt. The season is over. And there's me thinking we can wind down. But actually, season review, always great fun to do. Summers wants to do a tech time review, which is going to be a great video piece. And Joe is going to come and speak to us on Tuesday. So not quite yet for the winding down. Excellent. Well, there's really a lot to talk about because the season winds down, but then it kind of doesn't really wind down at all because things are happening off stage the whole time. I mean, did we not think last year that it would be impossible to make a show between the end of the season and the start of the season? And then we pretty much made one every week. Definitely. And now we're talking about reducing down to one a week over the winter. Uh, So we've got a season review coming up and I know some people will be going through the teams systematically or going through it chronologically. I think what we've decided to do today, Matt, is we simply put it out to our listeners and they gave us the highlights they want to talk about, which actually lined up with the stuff I wanted to talk about. So I think we take advantage of the fact that we have if not the most engaged podcast audience in independent Formula One, they're up there, aren't they? Absolutely. And um, simpatico, as it were. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong. 
but we're first. This show is Safe for Work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We are joined by a single guest to make up the triumvirate of Missed Apex producers, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's it's going great. I'm very tired because I've been awake for 27 hours doing Formula E stuff. Uh, it doesn't feel as bad as when I came back from Montreal, though. You said to me on Friday night, we were in a bar in London about to go and see Joe Saywood, and you were like, oh, no, I've got to be up all night. I'm like, so what? You're 20. What else is there for you to do? I'm sorry. No matter what you say, I'm not giving you the pony award for this session. Damn it. <laughs> I foiled again. Fair enough. I've just noticed that you've put in the show notes, Matt, that we've got some news before we start. So let's play this. Let's drag this out. I haven't seen this for a while. Big Dirty News. Go on then. What have we learned since the end of the season? Well, we did have two entire days of testing that probably should at least be given a nod to on the show. I mean, it's not like it's not like everybody's favorite racer, Bobby K, showed up and actually did a good job, which was certainly a question mark at Williams. Of course, that would be Robert Kubica, for those of you who don't follow my own personal abbreviations on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, he showed up, did a good job, had a fast lap. Um, Sorotkin showed up. He did a good job, had a fast lap. Stroll showed up and he drove around, too. And now apparently Verlein and Fiat's in the picture. I mean... Really, Williams, I mean, come on, make up your mind already. It, it It's a bit embarrassing. I mean, they're like, oh, we can take all the time we want to, but it just looks, well, rather, rather indecisive, doesn't it, Stevens? Um, I don't know. I'd slightly disagree with that because uh, as far as I can tell, Kubica is the favorite to get that seat now, it, it seems, having put in a rather impressive uh, lap count uh, during the... Uh, Abu Dhabi test 100 laps on the first day uh, alone. Um, it does seem like he and Stroll will be the ones in that car um, next year, which does, uh, you know, it, it's a great strain for the likes of uh, Verline, who I think would be uh, very well suited to that seat. Yeah, but that's what I mean. They're not they're not putting their foot down one way or the other and saying we want this. They're like, oh, why don't you why don't you tell us what you can bring to the table and eventually we'll make up our mind. I mean, they should just they should have a plan and and stick with it. And I don't know. I mean, I, I understand why they're doing it, but for a team like Williams, it just seems a bit unseemly. Yeah. So the impression I get is that basically uh, Bobby K turned up with the right financial package. And that made them say yes in principle. And now it's about seeing whether he can fit in the car. So effectively, it feels like he might be a pay driver next season. And I hope I'm wrong about that because there's so much F1 goodwill behind him. So let's see how that one pans out. And obviously, we won't know until Austria. We have another new entrant onto the field, this time a manufacturer, Chris. Yeah, Alfa Romeo backing the Sauber team. Uh, It's a rumour that's been... Uh, in its infancy for for a while and now all of a sudden it's popped up as as fact which is uh, slightly odd and it's a great thing for Sauber because it just means the team will be so much more stable next year they'll actually have current Ferrari engines as opposed to year old uh, engines as they've been running in 2017 so that's already going to be a major um, step forward and uh, having uh, Charles Leclerc in the team as well, that's only going to be a good thing, uh, I feel. And I think several, several people are excited to see Leclerc 
uh, take the step up to Formula 1, having dominated Formula 2 this season. All right, Matt, and then let's just quickly end with what on earth is going on with those tyres. I think the most important thing is we are now going to get proper tyre strategy back. Yeah, well, the good news is is the tyres they added are all even softer. And it it looks like, according to initial analysis, that it could be very much a minimum two-stop for every race, which, of course, is what makes life uh, more interesting strategically. And best of all, I, I believe there's a quote from Lewis Hamilton when asked about it, saying he loved the new hypersoft tire. And so that can only be a good thing because he's been around long enough to have seen several different tire constructions come through the sport. Yeah, he was uh, praising the uh, the new hypersoft, uh, said that the other tires were maybe still a little bit too hard for his um, particular liking. But it does seem like two, three stop strategies are on their way uh, back. Uh, I still think that the names are a bit of an issue. Uh, and of course, with the super hard tire as well, which is effectively this year's hard tire, which if you'll remember after a handful of races was scrapped, but it is only supposed to be a sort of reserve tire, which makes me wonder why they made a big song and dance about unveiling it really, if it's just going to be kind of put in the back just in case the tires blow up or something. Okay, enough. Enough news, guys. Come on, let's talk about the season. That's what we came here for. And as with every year, Trumpets, we ask you where the season was won and lost. A bit more complicated than when we do it with a race, isn't it? Go. All right. Well, it started with the banning of Frick in the preseason, which is a major coup, I believe, for Ferrari and put both Red Bull, I think it put Red Bull permanently out of the season, and definitely put Mercedes on the back foot for the first part of the season. And then the second major blow came with the banning of the oil burning, uh, or the reduction, rather, of the oil burning going into the um, halfway point of the season, and Mercedes' subsequent introduction of the engine that could still burn all of the oil it wanted to even though they swore up, down, left, right, and sideways, they didn't really burn any more than they were supposed to. <clears throat> okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but it it seemed to throw Ferrari into, I think the technical word is an utter tizzy. And from that point on, they were they were just left responding, and it looked like they were just losing ground throughout the rest of the season. So anyway, those two points, I think, were major. And if there's one more thing I would add, signs to Renault which gained them, what was it, about $10 million, $6 million? a large chunk of dough, and was worth every penny they paid to get that deal done early. Yeah, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for Toro Rosso, that one, though, wasn't it? Uh, in terms of the, the championship fight up front, um, definitely the suspension controversy it played massively into the hands of uh, Ferrari, and I, I, I think that was pretty evident from the first race. Um, you know, Vettel comfortably quicker, uh, than than Lewis in in that race he sat behind him just that whole first stint and then just drove away from him in 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 the second and it was interesting when we first saw Ferrari as a as a competitor we wondered how long they would be able to to keep up with it and I think we knew that Mercedes had a a, a larger uh, window of development than the Ferrari we absolutely called it straight away we said that Ferrari would not develop in season. And by we, I mean pretty much me, Matt and you. I know Anil argued with us and some of the other Ferrari fanboys. 
But Matt, we we have seen in the past that Ferrari stall on their development, and we've seen that Red Bull absolutely hammer in season development. And we called that this kind of overlap would come in where Mercedes would run away with it, not in perhaps the way we thought they would. Uh, that Mes- that Ferrari would fall behind, and that Red Bull would overtake them. And in fact, if it were not for kaput engines, Red Bull would be the second team in the championship this year. Um, yeah, if it weren't for Renault' lack of reliability. Well, I don't know that they would be second, but they would have been much closer. Really, they did not develop much, and the car did not look very developed. The loss of the suspension really hurt them worse because their car was designed around it. And Aiden Johnson makes a very good point that it technically it wasn't brick. It was uh, front-rear hydraulic dampers, but they had been able to engineer them to essentially give the same effect. So apologies for uh, taking the shortcut there when I should not have, clearly. But this is why we have a live chat room here, Matt. And if you want to join the live chat room over these dark winter months, uh, just go to YouTube and search Missed Apex Podcast. Click subscribe and the little bell and you'll get a notification every time we go live. It couldn't be easier in the mobile app. The chat box is just sat there right at the bottom and you can be here chatting along. Sorry, Matt. No, no, no. That's quite all right. Um, but but it did. Uh, I think that really hammered Red Bull and took them out of any potential they had for taking second in the constructors because they really it wasn't until after the um, midsummer break that they started to get on top of their development. And whether that's just with Nui was off playing with boats again or uh, whether it was just down to budget and sponsors, uh, they didn't really start accelerating till after the midsummer break. In terms of Ferrari's development i kind of disagree that mercedes outperformed them in the development race because as as matt mentioned there were those crucial uh, technical aspects uh, that were that were taking uh, away uh, on both sides and i think they played a bigger role in in that i mean take um spain for example when the, the that first batch of upgrades uh come in and we'd seen mercedes and ferrari so close in those first few races and they were still equally as close if not closer when these big updates came in at the in the european season actually othnell makes a point about the australian race and i'm I love that we've got these people giving us these comments because it throws your mind back to the race. And I do remember thinking that Lewis threw away the strategy by staying out too long, I think it was. Um, he certainly got seemed to get the pit stop wrong. And he, then he was then stuck behind Vettel. And that's what Othnall is saying. He doesn't quite agree that the Ferrari was faster than the Mercedes in that area, in that race. I, I would disagree because Seb sat so comfortably behind Lewis for that entire first stint waiting for his opportune moment it just so happened that that opportune moment in that particular race was uh lewis getting caught up behind verstappen because he pitted earlier fair enough all right then let's go through to some of the highlights that we got first of all in our slack group that our patrons inhabit so firstly from mcmaid this morning he said that his highlight of the year was lance stroll finishing third in baku really unlikely and i think matt if we cast our minds back He'd just come off the back of scoring some steady points in Canada by avoiding carnage. And everyone was going, oh, look, well, he's slow and steady, wins some minor points. Uh, And then in Baku, everything aligned for him to pick up nearly a second place. But in the end, the magic turbo button of Bottas reduced him to just third. Yes, it would probably be the same one that uh, Grosjean got given in um, Spa many, (laughs) many years ago, right? Missed Apex exclusive. Indeed. No, I think if we're looking for stroll lights here, 
Um, that and I'd say his performance at Monza had to be his utter standout. And and those are the things that make you think, okay, well, yeah, clearly he's paying a lot of money to be where he is. But you is the potential is somewhere hidden under all that teen angstiness. No. Maybe there's a driver. Sparkles, my answer is no, there's not. He had no pace. And the fact is, he was not aggressive enough to get into any trouble in those two races. And that's why he picked up positions. Uh, there has to be some form of talent in there. Uh, I mean, you don't win European Formula 3 championships without a, a, a significant amount of talent, even if you are maybe going for the odd test every now and then. And, you know, uh, when I look at Lance, uh, I would say he definitely came into Formula 1 a, a year early. Uh, I think the original plan of putting him in the Premier for Formula 2 would have been a, a, a bit better. Uh, and maybe we'd, we'd, we'd have seen a more impressive debut in 2018, perhaps. But uh, I suppose that's, uh, you know, science fiction alternate timeline wondering we'll have to theorize uh, ideas. Chat room is saying, uh, if you look at the results in Baku, Stroll finished third to a car that was a lap down at one point, And every single car that was faster had an issue or retired. Uh, so uh, Don Burns saying the Stroll highlight of the year, hands blurring as he frantically uses the steering wheel during every session of the season. Yeah, because he didn't quite have the smooth control uh, of some of the other drivers. But yeah, th- the point, Chris, is that that was a, a gift as much as any in motorsport. Yeah, overdriving is a term I would associate with Lance Stroll um, a lot. And, you know, I I don't want to take anything away from anybody who did anything in that Baku race, because that was one of those. It was such a bizarre race. It's a hell of a thing. We keep keep going on about it. But those kind of races, if you got a a good result that day, you flaming well earned it. I don't know. It was a heck of a race though, wasn't it, Matt? I mean, we could roll through the potential winners if your mind can cast back that far. But Daniel Ricciardo was in for the win at one point, was he not? Uh, I believe Massa as well would have finished ahead of the... Uh, no, hold on. Who won? Ricciardo won, didn't he? In Baku. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. But the, it, it would have been Massa had his rear damper not failed. Yep. Uh, Hulkenberg was on for a podium for sure had he not stuck it in the wall. Hamilton, of course, had his headrest coming loose Vettel would have won it had he not got a penalty for shunting Hamilton so are we are we really going to give him a lot of credit we can't you say you don't want to take anything away from it it was such a freak race such a freak result and if you look at the rest of Stroll's performances I think we can quite happily put this one just this one down to fluke I I know I wouldn't call it fluke because you know (laughs) it's those sort of races where you see a very different sort of drivers come up and and um you know, the the cream of the crop. I wouldn't call it fluke because of his performance in Monza. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why he couldn't find it again. But in Monza, in the wet, that was impressive. And he was fast. You can't argue it. It's, it's going to be confidence, isn't it? I mean, he's only 18 years old. And I th- confidence is going to be such a huge um, thing, especially having made the significant leap forward. I know we made this point at the beginning of the year, but I think it's it's time we re-emphasize it. He not only you know skipped GP3, GP2 to go straight into Formula 1, but Formula 1 had already gained three seconds a lap just from the change of regulations between 2016 and 2017. Interesting, interesting segue that you go to there, because the fact is the regulations did change 
a heck of a lot between 2016 and 2017. And we saw a very different type of on-track racing. So um, on the Facebook page, which you can go to, believe it or not, by going to Facebook and searching for Missed Apex Podcast, we do have a page where the links and the episodes are regularly posted out as an auto post from our website. But we also have a chat group there with about 440 people. It's closed, but we don't refuse entry unless you fully look like a spam account. Uh, so come join us there as Tom Rosmoft also did. And he said, watching the cars at Turn 12 at Albert Park, he was there in 2016. Hang on, I've got to change back to the scene where I'm on screen or our video editor will murder me. Uh, he was there at Albert Park in 2016 and the cars this year were so much faster and more impressive thanks to the 17 regs. And the Ferrari looked better than the Merc. It made me really excited for the season. And Eric Van Klinken says, cars and tyres actually being pushed rather than cuddled when they didn't need to save fuel, that is. Not only could you notice the higher cornering speeds, but there were quite a few moments where it was evident that these cars were actually trying to fight the laws of physics rather than keep the tyres alive. And that's what people say from years ago, watching Senna versus Prost in the wet at Silverstone. They talk about man defying machine and struggling with the car and doing things it didn't look like that car was supposed to do. So if people at trackside are now getting that back, feels like, oh, we can get a little bit of that spirit back into Formula One instead of people complaining about chocolate tyres. I definitely think Formula One took a big step in the right uh, direction in 2017. I mean, yes, there were probably fewer actual on-track overtakes, but I will always advocate that there is a difference between the quality of racing and the number of overtakes. Because what we had you know, seen for a few years was easy DRS overtakes or overtakes because one guy's tires had melted away and it was too easy to pass him. Whereas now we're seeing actual proper racing for position. It is. And I would go as far as to say, Matt, if people are not entertained by the racing that we've had this season, then I don't think Formula One is for them anymore. Because I think apart from the fact we've got this aero wake and yes, everyone wishes we could get rid of it. That is the future of racing for this next generation. So I think that's the kind of racing people are going to sit down and watch on a Sunday afternoon. If you don't like it, Matt, maybe it's time to, I don't know, go find another series. It could be, but quality versus quantity. I mean, always you want quality. And a lot of the overtakes, a lot of the racing this year was quality. We had multiple winners from multiple constructors. We had a vicious, nasty, go to the very end of the season midfield battle and uh, lots of twists and turns along the way. I, I mean, yes, you can always find a race that was boring or didn't really work out. But, you know, the issue for Formula One is it's got to decide what makes it Formula One. And that's, I think, what Liberty is in the process of doing. And that's probably a good subject for another off-season show. Well, no, I'll tell you what. I mean, some people have sought out Liberty as their thing of the of the season, of their highlight of the season. And had the show notes not suddenly jumped up to the top, I'd be able to tell you what Steve A had told us. I'll get it eventually, I'm sure. Is anyone else just jumping around like that? Is it just uh, me? Would it be this was the year that F1 took a step towards the future in terms of digital media fan involvement? Absolutely, yeah. So continue on that. Well, and they did. I mean, we had the uh, F1 London event, which was massive, right? Or I, I sometimes lose track of what year it is because, uh, you know, I, I bang myself with a rocker 
uh, you know, with the, with the wheelchair or whatever it is I use at my advanced age. Um, but we had the London event. We saw big updates um, with the app, although it was far from perfect. And, and to me, the thing that spoke most was they started releasing the unseen, the, the recut unseen footage on like Tuesday or Wednesday after the Grand Prix. And those have all been brilliant videos that make excellent advertising for the sport. Let's hear what Matthew Carter has to say in this WhatsApp message that he left me. The highlight of the 2017 F1 season for me was probably a little controversially away from the track, actually. It was the London Live event that uh, Liberty and the organisers from Britain put on in London uh, around the race weekend of Silverstone. Uh, I think it was a really interesting way for the sport to reach out a little bit more to the fans and for the fans to get up close and personal with the drivers and the teams and the engineers and the uh, mechanics uh, in, a, in a really good event. I think it needs some work because I think some of it was a little bit clunky and didn't really, didn't really work and wasn't really as slick as it could have been. But uh, more specifically than that, I think if you look, can search out the footage of Daniel Ricciardo's uh, little stunt that he did in the Red Bull, uh, where he was doing donuts up and down the, the streets in London. Um, I think it was superb. It was really good for the sport. Um, yeah, so for me, that was my highlight of 2017. Thank you, former Lotus boss Matthew Carter. Well, and he's got some good news coming his way because they have actually changed the sporting regulations, specifically about how often you can drive the car, the testing to allow for more of these events to happen next season. So look for more events like London Live to be coming along. Yeah, definitely any opportunity to get involved and up close with Formula One, especially if you've only got one race of the season to watch in your home country, and that's Silverstone, and you're looking out, looking at taking out a bank loan to have to go to that. Well, maybe one year you don't have to spend £1,000 to get you and your kid down there. You can just go into London, have a look at some of these drivers and stuff up close. It's um, it's a really nice step change, isn't it, Chris, for engaging with the media? Yeah, definitely. I, I think everyone benefits uh, from it. The fans certainly benefit. And it, it's great to see the sport going to the people rather than relying on the people going to um, you know, where the sport is. Because more often than not, the sport is in a very hard to reach location in the middle of nowhere. Absolutely. But I am determined, Chris, to make it to two races this year. It's a bit, uh, sorry, next year. It's a bit ambitious, but I keep saying every year I need to go to Monza. I need to see that festival of speed. Um, and I, and I, it's, it's not expensive to get to Italy. It's probably cheaper to go to Monza from here than it is Stevenage, uh, sorry, Silverstone. I, I couldn't possibly comment. I mean, I've only uh, checked up the, the Formula E calendar for my uh, 2018 adventures. <laughs> I said that I was going to go to the Paris E-Prix and my wife went, oh, I'll come. I was like, oh, yes, that sounds lovely. However, I will explain to you what's going on once and then we will not treat it like every film night we've ever had where you assume I know the full plot in advance to explain to you. Okay, so uh, moving away from Liberty a little bit, but before that, Chris, do you think there's any chance that Liberty will start issuing press passes to FIA events, to smaller media outlets, and say perhaps podcasts? Uh, No. That's Uh, your prediction, and you're on the record of saying you don't think a podcast such as ours could ever get any, you know, any kind of look into the F1 world. Uh, With the way media works at the moment, uh, I, I can't see it happening 
Yeah, and you have to consider that there's two problems here. One is FOM, which is now liberty and is changing. So if it was just down to liberty, potentially you could convince whoever's running their press office that, in fact, it might be worth their while to consider different forms of media uh, within the guidelines. But the real issue you have is that the people who, who hand out the passes aren't FOM, they're the FIA. And just guess who's running for his third term as president unopposed? Yeah, John Todd. Yeah, exactly. And you're not really going to see anything uh, media-wise change uh, until the FIA changes. And they have absolutely no reason, unlike FOM, which will want to advertise the sport more, they don't have any particular reason to do anything other than make it hyper-controlled access for only the special people who are already in the club. Dom in the chat room is saying that I'm probably small enough to fit in Joe's backpack. I do keep trying to say to him that maybe Inside F1 would be better filmed from within the paddock, and I'm also good at carrying stuff. But so far, absolutely no dice. But we are trying to do a a few things a little bit different for next year. So I guess this is a good time as any to talk about our plans. And uh, although it might not involve being in the press pen, asking Daniel Ricciardo for his latest quick quip, about his opposition, uh, we are going to be doing a number of things live. So I am determined next year, early in the season, that we are going to do a live recording where it will be a few of the lads doing an event, probably somewhere near London, that will also include a live podcast recording. And I think it'll be on the basis of if anyone turns up, they turn up. If we're doing it to an empty room, well, it's just us lads hanging out, having a great time podcasting with a beer. Chris, why don't you tell the guys as well about our little plan to do like a telly type thing? Yeah, so this was a a sort of small idea that I had that that Spanners has turned into uh, a real big project that we're working on over the winter. And it's to basically take Bradley Bradley Philpott's karting masterclass and and, and put that into a a visual media uh, for you. Uh, The idea is that uh, me and and Spanners go to a kart track. uh, We uh, maybe set a a benchmark time and, and Bradley teaches us how to go quicker and at the end we have a little a little shootout see who's benefited the most uh with significant ballast on the carts apparently to even out because i was talking to uh, yeah because i was talking to bradley and saying i've I've got him all day long and brad went well hang on a minute let's wait a second we are going to do ballast to get us both up to 95 kilograms as well these are shaking now aren't they well i might make a little difference but i think our usp here is obviously bradley philpot is a fantastic communicator he has taught just about every media and F1 personality aside from the drivers, how to get in a sports car and drive it fast. So he's an excellent communicator. And what we're going to have is him with a helmet cam behind us a lot of the time, either either instructing us via radio, which you'll be able to hear on this pilot that we're doing, or just muttering away to himself and doing critiques of us uh, while we go around trying to set laps. I've said, well, you just go on the car as fast as you can and just you know, insult us on the way round with everything you're doing wrong. So we do have a Kickstarter open for that. If you want to go to Kickstarter and search for Bradley Philpot Masterclass, uh, or look, uh, where can we, where, where can you find it most easily? Probably on my, the Twitter somewhere at Mr. Apex F1. Scroll down a little bit there. So, um, you should be able to support us there. We're looking for 400 quid, right? Because that's the minimum. I think we can get out there and start filming some stuff. If we get more, that will be reflected in the overall quality. And I'm hoping that this will be an idea that has legs. And imagine Summers versus Scarbs, something like that. Trumpets versus who's his equivalent? 
Uh, fake Charlie Whiting, something like that. Uh, okay, then. So um, let's move on a little bit. Oh, uh, Sandra says, Spanners, are you getting Will Buxton on a podcast? Of course, Will Buxton has already been on a podcast with us um, in 2016. Uh, however, I would say that it is looking good to get a visit from Mr. Buxton. So uh, make sure you tweet him and tell him you want to see him on Mr. Apex podcast. All right, let's go to the next highlight that we've got here. We have a highlight from Brett Cook here in the Slack group, Matt. And he says, for him, the US race buildup was a highlight and should get a mention. Chris is rolling his eyes, but let's you and me have a moment first. I loved it, loved it, loved it. We need to do something like that at the beginning of every race that says, here are your gladiators. Here is the reason you've bothered turning on your TV set. Give them nicknames. Give them like, uh, who was it? Prince uh, Nassim Hamed? Who was that boxer that used to come in and do all the showboating and be carried in by people on his throne, his golden chair? He used to leap in and jump into the ring like Chris Eubank. That's what we need at the beginning of races. It is what we need at the beginning of the races. And we need it not just because the fans who already watch need it. You need it to draw in the new viewers who might be interested but don't know any better. And especially for the U.S., that kind of a buildup is, is, I mean, watch any of our sporting events. And in fact, I'm reminded of this uh, from watching NFL football, where all the players run onto the field and they, the hands, and they make lines and there's cheering and screaming and cannons going off. It's really rather fantastic. But watching the, um, watching the drivers uh, jog to the podium in Formula E was exactly the same kind of thing. There was a quarter right through the crowd. They were high-fiving everybody on their way up. That's the kind of spectacle that Formula One has been too self-important to indulge in. But the fact of the matter is, if they want an audience big enough to support the sport, now that a lot of the hidden tobacco money and alcohol money has gone away, then they're going to need more people to watch it. And that means you got to do what you got to do. I disagree, because as far as I can see, as soon as you come in and are starting to boast about your gladiator drivers, it's almost as if you're compensating. And you should just let them do the talking on the track. And I know I hate to say it, but it was really corny as well. You're absolutely right. So why even bother to advertise? We should just have a race and everyone will love it and they'll show up. I mean, come on, Stevens. I I, I love your British attitude here. It's... But we're in a worldwide sport and we're going to need to advertise it. And we're going to have to give people reasons to tune in. And it would be beautiful. I mean, like in, in sparkly pink unicorn land. Yeah, it's true. All you have to do is show up and do a good job. But we live in the real world. You have to convince people that your product is superior by any method you can, well, afford, actually. The problem is Chris is a bit of an emo goth Grebo type, and which is essentially a callback to <laughs> the 90s. And in the 90s, you could never try. Trying was lame. So he's like, oh, I can't believe you're trying hard. Unbelievable. No, let's be like the Americans. Let's show off and have a great time. It's absolutely true. I've got the <laughs> mental age of like a 70-year-old. Uh, okay, and Hannah's giving me a bit of a flashback to the 90s air. Contestants, ready! Gladiators, ready! Three, two, one! It's Marcus Ericsson. Oh, I see. Can't believe they've signed him again. 
we'll rant, we'll rant about that another time. Uh, okay, then I think this next highlight from the Slack group is right up your street mat. It's from Laksh, L-A-K-S-H, Laksh, says the Stroll, no, not the Stroll, the uh, Toro Rosso Honda Renault drama. So the engine deals that kicked in mid-season with the drama, obviously McLaren kicking Honda and signing Renault for 2018, just in time to watch all of those Renaults blow up beautifully. I mean, we've seen that political saga play out in front of us, and it's been rather entertaining. It has been. And you know, what else has been entertaining is is in preparation for the show, I actually went back and read through a lot of my race reports. And I will say at the beginning of the season, the Hondas were unbelievably unreliable. And that's when this all started. It started with Zach Brown and McLaren and Alonzo. Remember him? He, as soon as he hit P11, would have a mystery problem. And just like, you know, head back to the garage, have a few laughs with the lads and, you know, and, and indulge in some tapas while the rest of the race finished. And, and, and the thing is, it all kicked off. They, they got, they, they got, they got all touchy with Honda. Honda got kind of offended and, and, and it, the die was cast early. It was clear McLaren felt they could not be competitive with Honda. And so they began reaching out, and by the middle of the season, Renault was their likely partner, but they couldn't just ditch Honda. Honda's come into the sport. They had to find someone for them to go to, and that turned out to be Tara Rosso. I can I, I can tell, and it was a thing. I mean, do you want to talk about drama? Like, are they going to sign? Are they not going to sign? And watching the Renault engines implode as McLaren is proudly announcing... <laughs> how how good they're going to do like they're going to like they they've targeted red bull i believe honestly they feel they have the same chassis uh performance as red bull and they feel like they're going to be racing with red bull but i'm watching these renos in the back of the tararosos explode race after race and i'm thinking eh, well we'll see won't we while honda after honda finishes in the points and doing decently in qualifying i don't know i mean it, this is i cannot wait to see how this turns out this is some real drama do you remember we had a conversation after autosport i remember i was sat having a healthy salad in a salad bar that looked like a mcdonald's uh, talking to you guys on whatsapp about the chances of honda doing well in 2017 you had really high hopes that they were going to be able to turn it around i think it was due to the lack of tokens or something rather i, I know you were optimistic for this season where do you think it really went wrong for honda um, I, I think they, having changed their uh, basic concept of how the architecture of the power unit, they were unable to deliver both power and reliability in the early part of the season. And they, they aimed for power, uh, but there was a rumor they had that vibration problem that kept on causing trouble with their electronics. I think that was what they needed to get on top of. And once they identified that, they've become more reliable and looking at the lap times, and I know Alonzo complains about the lack of power, but the lack of power they're experiencing right now is mainly down to the algorithm governing the um, how they collect and release energy. And they've been really hurt by only having one team's data. That's going to continue to be a problem for them. But they've been more reliable and steady than Renault overall these last races. And if they can up their power outage for next season, then then I think they can do better than people are expecting at this point. If you remember back to those first few races, that vibration um, that you mentioned, I mean, they were having to shift way, way earlier than they normally would be through the gears 
to stop the engine vibrating as much and that you're already just throwing away lap time because you're not using the full amount of power the engine uh, can 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 give and honda are, are still trying to, to to maintain the idea that they can do this themselves and that they don't need outside help and and you know they won't accept help from from mclaren or another manufacturer or or, or whoever and uh, that seems like it should not be the case. I think you might be a little bit fatigued there because have they not hired on a couple of ex uh, Ferrari or Mercedes people to help them out in the factory at this point? Right. But hired them under their own banner, but they won't, they they won't. If McLaren would, would say to them, do you want some help with this engine? They'll say, no, thank you. Okay. Yeah. And um, blackout adds that McLaren Honda relationship ending very publicly and then signing Renault weeks before they all started blowing up. The will they won't they with Renault and Palmer, uh, with him stubbornly hanging on until it was eventually pointed out to him that even his merchandise at half price wasn't selling, in which case uh, Palmer seemed to then give up. Yes, that was that was actually sad. And that seems like ancient history now, doesn't it? Especially with all the Toro Rosso driver shuffling. Yeah, it's slightly crazy, isn't it? That how uh, how time flies like that and how you know a, a, a gp2 champion who was you know considered uh, a, a great driver when he won the championship. when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue nile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Championship and uh, booted out of F1 very, very early. Um, but I'm very excited by Torosso's uh, new lineup. I think they massively shot themselves in the foot by letting science go. But the new drivers are very exciting. Very exciting, but I do worry two guys that new are not going to give you a good benchmark. And Gasly is starting to True. show that might, he might not be that consistent. So that would be the thing I would be looking out for at the beginning of the season. Is he going to keep pirouetting? Yeah, this was his problem in his uh, championship GP2 uh, Yeah, I would say. Um, but uh, that's where I think someone like Brendan is, is really going to be a good influence on, on him. He's just such a much more experienced driver in general. 
you know, a, a champion in his own right. Um, maybe, you know, not so much in uh, rich in F1 experience, but certainly in racing experience that Gasly can really draw on. The chat room are cruel. They're all claiming not to remember who Palmer is. Palmer who? Palmer? Your mean chat room. They are mean, but I'd have to tip Hartley in the in this current teammate battle at Toro Rosso. I think he's got the experience and he's got the pace. Okay, Steve Blackout19 messaged us in the Slack group earlier and said, an amusing point is how publicly Hamilton has kept praising Bottas for being a great second driver and so much better than other teammates he had, while at no point actually mentioning he who shall not be named. Yeah, I don't think he's made any mention of Rosberg. It was quite amusing towards the end of last season. He would talk about the other car quite often. It's like you could never say his name or he would appear. Uh, He's certainly got things the way he wants them now, Matt. Um, He's got a driver who is rated that he is consistently ahead of and even can afford to do things like give him a place back in Hungary and still not feel threatened. Yeah, well, I mean, and that was just that was just good team maneuvering, (laughs) although I'm sure it was a little bit scary for the... um... For the team, given how close, how close they were being pursued. Um, no, I think the thing with Botas is, is Hamilton has probably got about another year where he's got the just, shall we call it the institutional advantage. He's been in the team. He knows how it works. The car has been designed for him, basically. And and as Botas is getting up to speed with it, we're going to eventually either come across the limit of his talent or we're going to have another uh, situation where both of them have a real, real chance to win the championship. It's going to be interesting to see if Valtteri can take it to that place. What happens then? So it's interesting you bring up the dynamic of those Mercedes teammates, because I think next year will be very, very different, um, especially compared to this year. I mean, you look at how Bottas uh, started the season str- strongly, which is quite, you know, the, the contrary to, I think, what most people expected, you know, coming into a new team, what is, you know, Lewis's backyard now. I think maybe people expected him to, to struggle and maybe come on strong towards um, the end of the season. And while that eventually did happen, he did start very strongly. And it was the uh, development of the car that went against him. You know, those new parts, they went against his driving style. He said he had to alter it drastically to be able to keep on um, the same pace and, you know, not even think about getting near uh lewis at, at, at that stage um but yeah he ended the season very 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 strongly and i think that uh next year will be interesting to to say the least in that teammate battle i don't think he's got the pace to challenge him i don't think he's got rosberg's pace at all now nico rosberg and hamilton were partners in mercedes in a unique time within recent history where the cars were that dominant. We have not seen a team that dominant with no number one driver for a long, long time. So what we saw was it didn't matter if Lewis Hamilton was seven-tenths of a second ahead in qualifying. It didn't matter if he had half a lap on him in some races because it did. He did in a lot of races. The rest of the field was so far behind that Rosberg could come in and pick up the second places. And it was going like that for a long time in 2014. And I think that was certainly the story of 2015 as well. But Hamilton sort of pulled away a little bit more. But if they had had the challenge from Ferrari that they had this season, I think that Hamilton-Rosberg battle would have looked very different. Because in the races where Rosberg was significantly off the pace, 
you might have had a Ferrari or a Red Bull jammed in there. So I think Bottas might not be doing as badly against Hamilton in respect to Rosberg as it seems. But we have to remember that it was a very different time in 2014-2015. Mercedes don't have that same advantage now. No, and it's it's going to make the, the 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 poor races you have all the more crucial because the worst you would have finished in a Mercedes uh, on a bad day in 2014-15-16 is is second. And next year you could be sixth or even lower if if McLaren end up, you know, throwing their name into the the ring as a podium contender. So there's a lot more at stake next year. Oh, look, we've mentioned Hamilton and Rosberg and there's flaming in the chat room. It is a, it is an emotive subject. And if nothing else, that battle really did kind of vitalize Formula One fans. Everyone had to pick a side. It was like Blur or Oasis. Were you Rosberg or were you Hamilton? And, um, and yeah, but I mean, if you look at, say, Monaco, was it Monaco 2016? where it was wet and Rosberg just couldn't be aggressive enough to get the tyres working and it had closed the gap and the Red Bulls were competitive. I think Rosberg was nearly lapped and he ended up in seventh place. So the closer the field is, the, the harsher it looks. So if you see the the margin from Ferrari extend out next year, I think Bottas will do a lot better. I will say there's no way in my mind that Bottas is challenging him on track or politically for number one status this year or next year or the year after that, he's up against the extant Mercedes driver who's a four-time world champion and that's cash money. Definitely, you know, it's going to be an uphill struggle, but then there are, you know, things that happen. You know, I mean, the the greats, they get challenged, you know? I mean, Senna never went and won every single race and beat his teammate every um, single race, even when his teammate wasn't Alain Prost. And, and and sometimes, just sometimes, they do enough to challenge for a, for a championship. All right, then. Let's move on. Let's move on to a comment from Brett Cook, who says that he would say that the highlight for him has been the changing fortunes of the Red Bull drivers through the season. Definitely one of the most exciting driver pairs that we were all looking forward to in preseason. And Wichard, new to our Slack group, says um, he was particularly impressed with Verstappen's racing. And Vettel going for an overtake on Verstappen in Stowe. Vettel inside, Verstappen outside. The German cutting him off, followed by the same thing into Vale. And then Verstappen cutting Vettel off. And I think Verstappen left the track then as well, because he was kind of shoved off. And then he just went, well, I'll just come back on then. Uh, followed by a lot of moaning from Vettel. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Verstappen probably had more racing with Vettel than Hamilton did, uh, uh, fighting for the championship. But early on, it didn't seem like Verstappen was going to do anything this season. Now he's arguably the star, the star of Formula One outside the champion himself. Definitely the up and comer that everyone's really excited about. And it's interesting uh, how much tidier uh, Max has been this season, uh, especially in in terms of the the wheel-to-wheel combat. Now, He's had a few reliability issues, so maybe he's had less on-track time to get into a few scrapes. And we definitely did see that side of him. Uh, I mean, Hungary springs to mind, for example, but that's really the the, the major one. Uh, I can't really think of too many times he annoyed a lot of drivers or he uh, sparked controversy in wheel-to-wheel combat. His his racing was good and and, and firm and uh, really, you know, strong stuff. I think we're seeing the the maturing of Max Verstappen, but he's definitely still very eager to take that risk when necessary. 
And that's fascinating. You say up and comer, everyone's talking about, and I can't help but think of Ocon myself because I because he beat Verstappen fairly and squarely. And oh, he's no. the only person who really done that. Oh and no! Man, don't say that. Please don't say that. But we got so right. many emails the last time. Uh, I think it was Matthew Carter said Ocon beat Verstappen. We got a flood of orange emails. Not sure where they were from, uh, but people saying there was lots of extenuating circumstances and Ocon had the much better car and there was some DNFs from Verstappen and everything mm-hmm. like that. So look, I apologize for Trumpets. He didn't know, okay? He didn't know. Don't, please don't email us. Um, but Ricciardo is still a great driver. He's still got potential. Everyone's now saying, I know Chris, you said you didn't hear anyone slating him per se but i've heard a lot of people saying he's not the same quite class he hasn't got the same edge as verstappen hamilton vettel i still think he's got every potential to be a team leader in a winning car definitely i I, I, he can have those races um, where he is that level and i you know certainly there are are some flooding back into my memory some of his best wins and best drives over the last um two or three years but are they there all the time? No, they're not. Could you argue that maybe it's because the car isn't quite where it needs to be for him to unlock his full potential as well as the cars? I absolutely would argue that. I think if Red Bull can finally provide a, a proper championship challenger, not just an end of season challenger, but they are fighting for the wins as soon as the lights go out in Australia, then I, I think we can we can really see Ricardo finally unlock the, the the maximum out of himself and that battle with Verstappen is only going to get more and more intense okay so Othnell in the chat room clearly not a fan of Ricciardo says he uses humor to hide his flaws Sandra says that Max messes with Vettel's mind that's for sure he's definitely got a nice comfy spot on uh, on Seb's mental sofa uh Philip Allen I think this is to you Matt says note Perez beat Ocon in the championship Hey, yeah, he did. Go Perez. And, and and why did he do that? Was because he was already settled in the team and already has six, seven years of Formula One experience under his belt? Yeah, probably. And it helps if you just shove your teammate into the wall at Spa as well. Every every once in a while, that does help. Let him know you're there. <laughs> Make the bruise. You're just the apprentice. All right. So I think we're getting to the end of our season review. And I don't think we've covered really much that we wanted to cover, to be fair. I, I've really enjoyed just sitting and uh, going back over a season that I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed. Um, I mean, we've not even really gone to the individual races. Philip Allen, who is very active in the Facebook group, uh, says my race of the year was Spa. Tight race to the flag that may well have triggered a winning run. My moment of the year, he says, which we'll come back to, was Lewis being awarded a Senna helmet on surpassing the pole record. It was very, very emotional. Um, obviously, that turned out to not be a race one helmet and to be a, a genuine replica. I think is uh, the term that was used afterwards. So yeah, but say Spa followed by Monza was then when Hamilton kind of turned around and just went, nah, you know, this is ours now. And Spa was a track Matt, that they were not supposed to win and they kind of just about edged it out. And then in Monza, they just destroyed Ferrari. Yeah. And that was the, um, and, and that was what they having introduced that new power unit in Spa. I think it just, sent Ferrari into a tailspin. I can't explain why they struggled as much as they did at that track. And at Monza, you didn't expect Ferrari to be that close because it was more in Mercedes camp, but at Spa, it should have been theirs and they just, they couldn't, they couldn't get it all together. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, um, 
what would you call it? it? It was quite the blow Mercedes struck, I think, on and off track. So, you know, that pressure probably then told towards the end of the season where there were mistakes that were happening that you would not expect. So we had the spark plug. We had um, unreliability that made him start from the back of the grid. We had Singapore, obviously, which uh, which we don't need to go into that much detail about, but which was spectacular and was just a sign of the stress coming through that normally he's able to contain. But he's not really, is he? Because every time he's under pressure, he seems to slightly freak out. Well, to be fair, 2010 was the last time Ferrari was in this position and they got it all wrong then too. It's 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 easy to forget, isn't it, just how in control Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel looked in this championship, uh, especially as we went into the summer break where Seb, was it, it almost or more than a, a win's worth of points over Lewis into the summer break and how quickly that turned around? I mean, if you throw, you know, Singapore and the, the the unreliability out of the, the equation. Sebastian Vettel easily could have won this this champion. Well, not easily could have won this championship. There is no easily winning a championship against the likes of uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, especially Mercedes. But definitely, it, it, you know, we we didn't get the the showdown we uh, were teased to have for the vast majority of the season. And I think that while that is a shame, uh, you know, you you can't take anything away from from either driver uh it's definitely you know ferrari's unreliability that has put a cork in vettel's championship campaign but lewis has just been stunning all season a lot of agreement here from the panel but then I've again we are we are a ham panel after all aren't we that's the accusation no, um <laughs> no. oh, the accusation yes definitely it's funny because chris always pretends to be a neutral oh i haven't got a dog in this fight but you accuse <laughs> him of being a hamilton fan he gets super super defensive so you're either the biggest hamilton fan in the world or a hater which one is it sparkles which one is it i i know this is a crazy thought in 2017 but it is possible to be neither but you're not you're lying that's that's my point so Charlie Brisker says his highlight was any of Fernando Alonso's comments. He really has now got the elder statesman uh, mentality, hasn't he? Where he can do anything, he can say anything. He feels now he has genuinely nothing to lose, Chris. Yeah, I suppose that's the charm of Fernando Alonso, really, isn't it? Uh, you know, he he says what he thinks, uh, especially when he's not happy. Uh, I think that's maybe why he's become so popular and so memeable over the last couple of years as well. Is that a word? Memeable. Oh, by the way, um, the chat room is asking Peter and Sandra, what's that picture behind you, Chris? Uh, <laughs> that is, that's nobody. That, is... that was a gift, a gift from my brother-in-law and my sister a few years ago. Is that Lewis Hamilton's 20, not 2011 car, is it? No, not the 2011 car. No, the F-duct. Oh, right. Yeah, that clears it up. Good. We can all move on. <laughs> Spanners doesn't know what it is. Tell me. It's the 2010 car. Oh, a year out. Ah, well, I've got the right ear. Yeah, come on. The side pods should have given it away. So you are exactly Hamfosi. All right, then. So who do you think, Chris, is your biggest winner out of this season? Let's take the obvious ones out of it. Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Maybe down the field a little bit. Who has won out of 2017? Who's come out looking like gold? Yeah, Lewis has got to be the obvious one, isn't it? Because he has been amazing. But further down the field, um, it's it's got to be Esteban Ocon, hasn't it? Uh, he is uh, just such a, an exciting young uh, driver who has arrived in uh, into Force India and and looked at the 
one of the nearly men of top tier Formula One, and 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 just it kind of brushed him aside and 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 said, I know you think you're you're pretty damn good, but I'm better. And he has proven that on a number of occasions. Yet Perez has had the better of him at times as well. But he's definitely unsettled the the, the Mexican uh, uh, at times. And I I think uh, Ocon he's, he's got to be on a lot of teams' radars for the near future. And, and 2018, get, let him race again because that's been the highlight of the year. I, I will say that I'm not quite on the Ocon train as much as everyone else is. Perez was surprised this year. Let's see him fight back next year and prove he's the F1 driver he's been telling us he is for the last five years. I don't think Ocon's got enough to humiliate him, to smash him next season. Perez is going to put up a big fight. So Ocon fans, don't get too comfortable because they are in for a big scrap. Why am I asking you for your thing of the year when it's normally what we do after this? so stupid why don't we just do what we do for all our reviews just because it's a season review doesn't make it any different Uh, i'd like to say a big thank you and a real thank you to the people who have supported us on patreon this year and would ask that anybody who's not would consider supporting us because we're getting close to the point now where i can start building up a war chest for the ambitions i have for next season Uh, this year you patrons have covered the cost and we have a studio here with equipment We have web hosting fees. I send equipment out to the boys if they need it. Uh, And that is that is not free. But because of the patrons, we've been able to do it. And we've been able to keep up a certain standard. I'm not saying we're the best, most amazing standard in the world. But if you listen to a lot of podcasts, I think we're, you know, we're in we're in the realm of things that sound okay. And that has only been because patrons have been contributing. and, And we thank you for that. And I think now we're getting to the point where we have more than covered costs. The biggest argument I have with my wife is what portion of the studio that I built um, can be set against the podcast and what can be set against her business and my audio stuff. And I think we've come to an agreement now. And having this studio facility is the main thing that has allowed me to do this because it means it doesn't matter if the kiddies are sleeping. It doesn't matter if she's got friends over. It doesn't matter if she wants to watch the thing where sad people bake bread. That, that is a thing. That's on like once a week and she just sits and watches it. Um, but it means that this is the only reason we've been able to produce so many podcasts. I've been able to run out into the garden, into a studio shed and do all this stuff. And that is down to you because of the patrons. So if you would like to help us match our ambitions next year, consider going to patreon.com uh, and searching for Missed Apex Podcast or going to www.mistapexpodcast.com and clicking the supporters tab uh, and consider monthly micropayments. We're hoping it's the kind of thing that you don't notice going out of your bank but you can get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you're supporting a project with ambition that engages with its audience. Because I think that even if I'm not the most quality communicator in the world, I have replied to every email. I have really enjoyed and immersed myself in the community that's built up around this podcast. So I thank you for all of that and ask you if you'd consider supporting us. All right. So let's go to the awards. Matt Trumpets, who is your thing of the year? Well, you know... You're going to laugh at me, but as well as Ocon did, I think signs to Renault is my thing of the year. And you're going to laugh at what came closest. And that's going to be Sauber at the end of the year, looking like they might have something very real for next season. I I actually agree with you, Matt, uh, because it, it it seemed like the only thing stopping Verline making more progress was that 
knackered old Ferrari engine in in the back of it. I think mm-hmm. it had the had they had a, a proper engine in it, that would have been a point scoring race for them. It really would have been. Can I add another thing of the year? Because yes. I just thought of one while you were going through the podium stuff. Uh, Fernando Alonso, and not just because of uh, you know how he's dragged that McLaren around and somehow managed to get some decent results out of it at times, but because no matter what happens, you know, no matter what happened this year and no matter what happens next year, he will come out of it looking amazing, won't he? He comes out of this year, you know, saying that the the engine is, is useless and it's a miracle that we're scoring these points. And and he looks fantastic. He's going to do Daytona next year and he will look fantastic. If he does IndyCar again next year or Le Mans with Toyota, he will look fantastic. And he's just really wonderfully putting himself in these positions where he comes out looking great. It's a, It's genius. Thing is, though, he's kind of old now. And by old, I mean he's my age. And you have a very kind of different perspective and outlook. And I'm sure you take another leap again when you get to the far reaches of the age Trumpets is at as well, which is why he's a grumpy old git on this show. But you do kind of get to the point where you go, do you know what? I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I can do and what I can offer. I don't need to be humble. I don't need to watch what I'm doing. And I can start to own the space around me and own my own image and certainly that is what Kimi Raikkonen has always done that is what Fernando Alonso is doing that's what Lewis Hamilton is starting to do more and more uh, and certainly as well Massa uh, completely unrestrained with his comments so yeah uh, I'm enjoying seeing these elder statesmen in even if we feel like sometimes they're blocking the door to new talent okay I guess my thing of the uh, year then as well is uh, Kevin Magnussen is my thing of the year Right, because you took the obvious ones, and I know people don't love him, and I know the drivers don't love him. However, do we have to be reminded that this is racing, and that you are meant to ferociously attack cars on track, and that is what people want, and that's what they admired in Senna, that's what they admired in Hamilton in 2007. Kevin Magnussen is the same. He doesn't do anything illegal. He is just aggressive. He puts himself in positions where he says, get out of my way or we're going to crash, and that has been admired in other drivers. Hashtag drive like a Viking. I um, we've I, got a couple of oh sorry, Stevens, go ahead. Oh okay, I I, I agree with the notion that he is a, an aggressive racer, and I respect that. I do one hundred percent. But I feel that had Roman Grosjean not had so many endless issues with his brakes in that house, and so so maybe take the last two races as a kind of reference point when they made that switch back to carbon industry and they finally you know got made some progress with it and and roman uh, wasn't complaining as much about it if if you were to take that and apply that to the entire season i think we'd be looking at kevin yeah you know, very very differently and potentially you know not being in f1 era possibly and you might be saying he's lacking ultimate pace but the point i'm making is the criticism he's come under has been unfair and his response to that criticism has been to tell people to moisturize parts of his anatomy vigorously. Uh, he has not backed down. He has kept to, was it, be true to thine own self. He's kept to his principles. He says, I'm here to race and that's what I'm going to do. So that's why I'm giving him thing of the weekend, bit of Viking spirit, uh, thing of the weekend, thing of the year, bit of Viking spirit and hope he does well next year. We do have a suggestion or two from the chat room if there's time. There is because I'm enjoying myself. 
Indeed, uh, Dom Byrne says his thing of the year is a steering wheelless Kimi Raikkonen in Baku because, oh my goodness, that was a thing, wasn't it? I have listened to that clip more times than is healthy. I don't want to admit, but, but it's a lot. I've listened to it a lot. It's the increasing uh, desperation of just the most basic thing in Formula One. I need my steering wheel. It's unreal. That's a great suggestion. Is there any more? Is there? Uh, yeah, McLaren says uh, Spanners wearing T-shirts all season long with the names of American cities on them. That, that's true. Um, thankfully, all of you have got poor memories. So you haven't realized when I've just been recycling the same T-shirt. But since I've noticed a lot of stick scrolling down the chat room over the course of the season, I, I have gone out of my way to now wear and buy any T-shirts with American place names. Very Magnuson-like of you. Yeah. Viking spirit, except with T-shirts. Okay, so let's uh, do the missed apex thing. Oh no, you missed the apex. 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 One more time. Oh no, you missed the apex. Oh no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you, Matt? Ooh, who missed the apex for me? Um... That's a very good question. I'm going to think about it for a second. And then I'm going to have to say, at the end of all things, it had to be Tara Rosso. Really? Yeah, because they gave up signs and that place in the championship. And I'm not sure they got back enough money to make up for it. I mean, there are other more obvious contenders. But when you talk about like practical, immediate effects, giving up signs early... You can just point, you can draw the line between those two dots. The, the end of their season was a complete write-off, wasn't it? Not just because of the reliability, but because you had two drivers in there with no F1 experience to handle it. And I would go one further, Matt. I don't think it just cost them six in the constructors. I think it potentially cost them fifth in the end. Because if you look at the, uh, the, the Williams as a car, and you look at the Toro Rosso as a car, and what they're both technically capable of, you would say that, that car really should have been fifth in the in the championship. Yeah, and they've probably cost themselves a little bit next season as well because they did it once. They kept Gviat because they know he's fast and they gave him a they gave them a, a benchmark for them to compare the new driver. And I think they've lost that now. So Chris, who do you who uh, who do you think missed the apex this season? Oh Williams. Yeah. Williams one hundred percent. Uh because they they were they were put on the back foot already with uh a driver lineup that wasn't ideal for them. And somehow that that seems to be carrying on with them in 2018 because I, I really, really am really struggling to come around. If, if Williams can put a piece of data in front of me that would prove Robert Kubica is the best, uh, you know, option for them next year, then I'll believe it. But uh, until then, I can't fathom what it is. Yep. I could go on at length about and, and Williams. I'm very angry about it. <laughs> Not just the drivers as well, but the fact that that car has just been steadily going backwards year on year since the hybrid era began. I don't think you can tell. I don't think you can tell the full potential of that car from what we've seen this season just because you've had two substandard drivers. People aren't going to like that because people love Massa, but he's off pace. I'd say Felipe got what the, got out of the car what the car was capable, uh, you know, of doing. You know, where they, but it but it takes you know a Lewis, a Sebastian, a um, a Max and a Daniel to be to take it beyond that and and still be you know still keep it on the track. 
I love how you're suggesting that 100% is somehow 9 out of 10, but okay, whatever, maths. Um, Hannah it says, <laughs> Hannah says, <laughs> that's wrong. So you're saying the 100%, the maximum you can give is really good, and Massa did that, but then there's a what? level beyond that at 11 that certain other drivers go. This is why we don't let you talk a lot. Hannah says, Bernie was dragged kicking and screaming from the apex uh where we say somebody's saying the logo the new logo has missed the apex um for me i think it's very tempting to say ferrari have missed the apex and if that was to be my missed apex would anybody get upset and disagree with me but in the end i think it's got to go to vettel because vettel has all the tools in his armory to bring that championship much closer um and he didn't Uh, singapore was a mistake and I am still of the opinion that in Mexico, he let his car run into Hamilton as a gamble because in a third of those scenarios, he would have had a fine car and Hamilton would have had to have retired. And yes, it was high risk that he might have had to retire, but he had literally nothing to lose at that point. Letting his car drift into the back of Hamilton gave him the only dice roll he had to continue the championship fight. Okay, I disagree with that. Well, you're wrong. Go on then. Tell me why you disagree. Okay, no, but fine. But no, I would, I would argue that Ferrari missed the apex more than um, Sebastian. Yeah, there were those uh, moments. To be fair, the two of them go hand in hand because they probably still would have been able to fought, fight for the championship to Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, without the reliability problems. Or if Seven had um, the issue uh, that he had in in, in Baku and um, Singapore, I still can't clear cut say who who's fault that would have been Vettel but I mean yeah but it's so it's so tough it just yeah but you're just wrong it was Vettel and I know I know you're gonna say that but they (laughs) there you go (laughs) he crossed from one side of the track to the other and caused a crash that ultimately resulted in his teammate taking him out Fernando Alonso did the exact same thing in 2010 and it was absolutely fine um so sometimes you take risks and they pay off. Sometimes you take risks and they don't pay off. Tell me why you disagree about Mexico, that he wouldn't have deliberately drifted his car into the back of Hamilton's. Because what would he possibly stand to gain from that? Hamilton out and him not out. Yeah, but he still would have... Okay, so he's going to deliberately damage his front wing. Yeah. on on, on, On a track where your aerodynamic downforce is... So incredible. Not even on uh, that. Even that's got nothing to do with it. He's not going to sacrifice his front wing. Yeah, it's an to, all or nothing move because he's not then going to win the race, is he? He's not going to win the race with a damaged front wing, isn't it? He's if he needed to win that race, he would have gone out and won that race properly, and he w- wouldn't have tried to you know t- take a risk by by punting Lewis off for you know for example, damaging his own car. It just that is a slam dunk let's see what bradley philpot had to say about that corner for my highlight of the season i'm going to pick max verstappen going around the outside of everyone at turn one in mexico um, just about keeping the car uh, within the white lines and legal and driving away from the field with his simply simply lovely comment um, as vindication for what he perceived as an unfair penalty from the previous race yeah, so I was uh, I was messing with you. I knew it had nothing to do with Vettel slamming into the back of Hamilton. But yeah, of course, Verstappen pulled off a blinder I there. Hate <laughs> I hate you so much. I'm glad Bradley said that because I 100% agree with that. I jumped out of my seat when I watched Max do that. It was one of the best moments of his Formula 1 career. That that move, that one, those single 10 seconds. 
Okay, Chris, you are C underscore no. Come on. C Stevens underscore Jerno on the Twitters. And Matt is at MattPT55. Matt, how's your Indiegogo going? Are you about to make it's, an album? Um, I am about to make an album next September. And it is still going. You are not out of time to give to make the internet money tree rain on my particular project, as it were. Just uh, hook up Nightscapes or Matt Ragsdale and the City Line Trio on Indiegogo and drop a little something in the tip jar. Uh, if you happen to like music, if you like jazz, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be doing. Chris, you are writing for Formula Spy, and they are covering Formula E using you to do so. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we, we do Formula One and Formula E news, and my major thing is doing the uh, Formula E uh, coverage. So I'm busy this weekend, uh, as you can imagine. And, um, of course, uh, we've got uh, E-Radio. Uh, as well and now a, a missed apex product uh, as well which is hugely exciting so me and matt will be doing the the, the hong kong uh, e-pre double header race review to start off season four and and there will be like nothing to talk about right <laughs> oh it was pretty <laughs> very boring weekend that nothing happened really it was just a bunch of cars going around in circles nothing interesting yeah i forgot to mention or uh, i was possibly cut off that if anybody is in the uh, metro area and wants to come see me this Friday at the Bitter End, I will be playing there. If you happen to be on Long Island, I'll be at the Tilda Center the next three nights doing Christmas concerts. And apparently on Saturday now, I'll be doing an oldies concert, like a doo-wop concert, in Rahway, New Jersey. But I don't know where that's going to be yet because I don't have those details. You may well, speak, Chris. Okay, sorry. That was really off-putting. Sorry. Well, now that the season's over as well, uh, I've got you know a lot of time free before Christmas. I may as well pop out to New York and and go and watch those shows. Fair enough. Come on. Uh, we are actually not resting, even though the volume of shows might drift down. But I do urge you to come and check out the video version when we do it of our tech season review. Matthew Summerfield has been working on the slides and pictures to explain to you the story of the season from a technical point of view. And I think that is going to be fantastic viewing. Obviously, we'll make it relevant for a listening audience as well. We're going to do an Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on on Thursday. We confirmed that with him after going to the live events, Chris. Uh, how did you find it sitting and listening to Joe Sayward, the big man himself, live in London? Oh, it's fantastic. I really, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's, it's great to, um, see so many, uh, fans sort of conglomerate into one place to listen to, you know, the insight of, of one man. And, and it, it was great to meet so many of our listeners, uh, as well, which there, there were many there. Yeah. And, obviously uh, there was most of those listeners were people who had found us through Joe Saywood, but they were all very kind. They all had good things to say about what we were doing. Yeah, very nice people. And uh, in the interval and afterwards, it was really lovely that people took the time to come up and shake our hands and say, you know, we like what you're doing. And, you know, we, we like listening to you. And, you know, people commenting, oh, it's like listening to my my podcast has come to life in real life because you're there. Uh, so that was a, a real treat. And, and listening to Joe live in the flesh talking about things inside F1, I would say is definitely worth the 39 quid that he charges for a bit of a Q&A. Mm, you can you can you get a sense of you know the the knowledge the experience and the passion as well which i think is really important and it's why we're all here 
really, isn't it? Because we're all passionate about something. Exactly. If I wasn't here on this podcast talking about Formula One, I'd be annoying my workmates who don't care about Formula One at all. So this has been a fantastic release for me. Uh, I hope it's a good release for you guys as well in the chat room and those of you listening. So come and join us on Tuesday for Inside F1 with Joe. Check out eRadio Show. Follow me to extend my personal glory at Spanners Ready and keep up with what we're doing with our Bradley Philpot Masterclass TV pilot. We can generously call it TV, but it'll be on the internet. Uh, until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex 2017 Season Review. We didn't do comment. Were we supposed to? Of course we were. Done. Comment of the week. It's not a shtick. It's not a thing I do to be funny. It's written there in big letters, comment of the week. I just never do it. I flap at the end, uh, and this is why I'm not yet on telly. Right. You probably want me to say something clever now to make you look better. But instead, I'm just going to read comments from the fans. Um, Forsaken. How about the sad news that Ericsson has been resigned? They ruined the Leclerc versus Giovinazzi battle. I wanted so badly. Too and, soon. Uh, too soon to talk about that. I'm too bitter still. Too yeah, too soon. Yep. 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 Um, Dom Burns, stroll highlight of the year. Hands blurring as he frantically uses the steering wheel during every session of the season. Um, Forsaken again. Stroll will never be better than Nico. 2015 Le Mans winner, Hulkenberg. No. Uh, Dan Liu, uh, Dan L, I apologize. You guys saying the London was good. NASCAR does that kind of event 30 times a year. Don Burn again. Spanners is probably small enough to fit into Joe's backpack about getting into the track. Okay, that's body shaming, so that won't be winning. So that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dom again with here are your gladiators. Starting with Marcus Erickson. Already got a shout out. And I, I, Hannah moderator though she is rumor has it that if you say rosberg in the mirror three times he'll appear and win the championship before promptly retiring and then dom one more time 2017 winner kimmy for having the cushiest role in formula one absolutely has to do nothing so i think we're going for the first one there aren't we with uh ericsson forsaken how about the sad news that ericsson has been re-signed comment of the week Okay, we're out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.